Nicole. Folks, joining us right, right now, as I said, is Cornell Law School professor, founder of Legal Insurrection, and now CriticalRace.org, president of the Rhode Island-based Legal Insurrection Foundation. It is my absolute pleasure and honor to welcome to the program the one and only William Jacobson. Good afternoon, Bill Jacobson. Thanks for having me on. First of all, thank you for everything you do. Your website is absolutely rocketing right now. You introduced us to Nicole Salas. You introduced us to Ramona Bessinger. And Bill Jacobson, I'm willing to bet that there are other teachers out there that probably have a similar story to tell. Well, I think there are. I mean, I think people just need some examples of coming forward. And Nicole, who's not a teacher, she's uh, just a local mother, yes. but also Ramona, who is a teacher. Yep. People need to alert the world to what's going on. And, and at Legal Insurrection Foundation, this is what we do. We bring forward stories. We vet them. We um, highly rated for accuracy of our reporting. And we want to hear from people. If you're a parent, if you're a teacher, uh, and you see things that are going on, you can come to LegalInsurrection.com. We have a contact form, and you can contact us. And we want to hear from you. I can't promise that we'll publish something. We do an extensive vetting process to make sure that you are who you say you are and that your facts are right. But if the story checks out and if we think it's newsworthy, we're, you know, we want to put it on the website and get it some attention. Bill Jacobson, um, right now we're in mid to late July. When when did critical race theory first start to appear on, on your radar and the radar of legal insurrection? Well, I've actually followed it really almost since law school because one of my classmates, um, Kimberly Crenshaw, is one of the developers of critical legal theory and eventually critical race theory. So I've always been aware of it. That's going back to 1984. um, And I was at Harvard Law School, which is where critical race theory and critical legal theory really developed. If you look at the early people, the early professors doing it, that's where it was. So I've been aware of it for over 30 years. It was more and more on our radar, but it really jumped onto my radar last summer. It was almost now to the day that the president of Cornell University announced uh, in the wake of the George Floyd killing and the protests and the riots that Cornell was going to become an anti-racist campus. And I really wasn't sure what that meant. And they assigned, not assigned, but proposed summer reading for the entire university. Ibram Kendi's book, How to Become an Anti, How to Be an Anti-Racist, and it was available free to people who had a you know Cornell ID. So I read it, and I was absolutely horrified. It was an ideology which, while they use the term anti-racist, that's complete deception. It is actually a very racially discriminatory ideology. And so I read this thing, and I said, "Oh my God!" Uh, and we started to look into it at the foundation. We have researchers. And originally I was going to write a, an op-ed or an article someplace about it. And the deeper we got into it, the, the more we realized how pervasive it was. And, and so we rolled out a website in February called criticalrace.org, which documents uh, critical race training in higher education. We have an interactive map. You can click on a state, click on a school and see what's happening. And then we began to hear from people all over the country because the website got a lot of attention um we got a million views within a day of us taking it public wow and yeah wow so uh so we began to hear from parents saying when are you going to do k through 12 
And so we hadn't really been alerted until about February that K through 12 is really where the problem is. Mm. High red is pretty far gone already. Yeah. But K through 12 is where the action is. So I'd say it's been a progression since last summer. But certainly by February of this year, it was front and center for us. Folks, again, we're speaking with uh, Bill Jacobson, Cornell Law School professor, also founder of Legal Insurrection. But we're really trying to highlight the website now, which is criticalrace.org. And he's also the president of the Rhode Island-based Legal Insurrection Foundation. You know, Bill, you've been in academia and been in that world. What, what really stood out to me um, in speaking to Ramona yesterday, which was... Like suddenly she noticed all of these poorly written pamphlets and being distributed and clean out these books and this is the new way. And like just that in itself raises red flags because it was it's pretty unprecedented and it's normally pretty difficult to get uh, onto the list of like required reading and uh, really have schools pick up your uh, published literature in that to me like really stood out to me simply because I have family members that are in education and they talk about how difficult it is to somehow get something in and approved in school departments to pick it up. And boy, that was a real red flag that they, they just started arriving and not even in, in book form, but like in pamphlet form. Yes, I mean, that, that is truly astounding that something could just show up like that. Usually it's a whole process to change a curriculum. And particularly where the books that were being used, which are great authors and including great African-American authors, just being literally people coming into the classroom and boxing them up to be recycled. This is something out of like a horror movie about, you know, a totalitarian society where they just come in and they start grabbing great novels and replacing them with propaganda pamphlets. Uh, this is something you would expect in the you know Chinese Cultural Revolution time. So that was really that really jumped out at me that you know this change. How how does this happen? And I don't know how it happened in Providence. I mean that's something that maybe we'll get into. But one of the things people need to realize there is enormous enormous. I can't emphasize how much money is behind the effort to change curriculums around the country, to change uh, and to push things towards a a race-based or race-oriented curriculum. There are hundreds of organizations. Uh, We documented this on the website. We found that uh, one of them, a coalition of over 300 groups, including the National Education Association, um, created a messaging guide um, on a group called Future of Learning. It's 300 groups, a coalition, including national unions, and they are funding a lot of this stuff. Their members are funding huge foundations. This myth that somehow there's all sorts of right-wing dark money behind the anti-CRT pushback. It's exactly the opposite. There's hundreds of millions of dollars going into pushing this stuff. And what you have in reality is a lot of parents like Nicole standing up and saying, wait a second, this isn't what I bargained for here. What, what is the, uh, the win for, in fact, say, the AFT or NEA Rhode Island, Randy Weingarten? What, what's their angle of why they're going so deep on this and getting behind it? I don't know, but the unions are behind a lot of this. They are all on board with it. Uh, I don't know what their ultimate agenda is. 
So I can't really speak to that. They, some of them are probably true believers. They hmm. believe this stuff. Yeah. Um, and others, it's a power thing. Uh, so I don't really know what their end game is, but I know that what the result is going to be is more racial strife, not less. And it's going to be more teachers like Ramona who feel they're being targeted because of their skin color. So that's, that's what's going to happen. But I don't know what the unions have for this. Folks, again, we're speaking with Bill Jacobson, Cornell Law School professor, founder of Legal Insurrection, also president of the Rhode Island-based Legal Insurrection Foundation. And if you're listening right now and you happen to be a teacher related to one, please visit the website. Or, folks, if you're just a parent and you want to learn more, visit the website, which is criticalrace.org. You know, Bill, something that also stood out to me with um, both Nicole and Ramona is they kind of went into this trying to well start, i'll start with nicole she started out as just a parent that wanted to find out more information and was almost taken aback at how quickly they go to the mat and almost you know i mean that was really still incredible how they put her name and they may take legal action like they they don't hesitate to immediately bring out the big guns and try to make an example out of her well, that was what was so amazing about Nicole is that she was, in a sense, an involuntary activist. Yeah. She only became publicly known when they put her name on the school committee agenda to possibly sue her. I mean, who does that? Nobody does that. Hmm. When they issued these horrific statements smearing her, which we now know were drafted by a public relations firm, trying to associate her with national racist groups, which is completely untrue. Um, and so, you know... They went after her pretty seriously. And one thing that came out at the school committee meeting, because I watched it online, it was Zoom, is that they never approached her to try to resolve anything. They just went right after her, tried to attack her legally, tried to attack her reputation. Uh, I don't understand this unless they're hiding something. You know, people who act like they have something to hide very frequently are hiding something. And whether we get to that, who knows? And also uh, the situation with Ramona, you know, the old expression, don't kill the messenger. It's like they're not even whoever put this together. Like, are they even realizing the consequences of forcing uh, a Caucasian instructor to attempt to teach this and put out the information? And and suddenly, you know, she can, you know, truly feel the tense uh, environment that it creates and it's it's not her imagination they they are getting resentful towards her and really anyone who happens to be caucasian well you know i don't know again what the the goal is here unless it's just a pure power play which it might be or unless they are people who are you know, just feel so aggrieved that they have to visit whatever pain they think they've been through on other people uh you know so it is a complete it's a societal dead end there was just a an article in the New York Post, I think it was yesterday, an op-ed by a guy who was an anti-apartheid accident, uh, activist in South Africa. So he's got credibility. Uh, and he wrote about what this critical race theory is doing in the U.S. And he said it is exactly what has happened in the last few years in post-apartheid South Africa, where you have all the strife because everything centers around race. Oh. Uh, and he said, I really recommend people do you know look for that. I forget his name, but it, really astounding. And he says this 
obsessive focus on race being the center of everything, the end result is perpetual societal strife, increased hatred. So it's possible to be for equality. It's possible for to be for treating people respectfully without regard to race. But I think the problem that Ramona is facing and that we're facing as a society, there's a, a specific significant part of our society who controls education, who believes that that perpetual um, never ending racial conflict is a good thing. I mean, that is the whole anti-racism narrative. That is the whole critical race narrative, that our society is systemically racist. You can never 100% get rid of it, but you have to fight it every day. It almost becomes a religion. And it's going to take us to a very bad place. What Ramona is going through is really like the canary in the coal mine. It's a warning to our society that what we are doing is really going to rip our society apart. And it is going to do the opposite of what a lot of naive, well-intentioned people think it's going to achieve, which is greater racial equality. What do you think of uh, people like Mayor Lors, the mayor of Providence now, wants to offer reparations and really put this front and center. He's also doing a side project of basically having a lottery to start to award people a monthly supplement to spend whatever they want. But he is still hell-bent going down this reparations path. Yeah, I mean, I, I got to tell you, John, I don't follow local politics okay. that much. Understood. As, uh, but I have seen about reparations, obviously, both in a general matter. Uh, you know, I think reparations is another thing. Who who Reparations for people who, you know, were victims of John Crow themselves or descendants, you know, immediately in the generation after slavery. I mean, you can make an understanding for that, but you're asking people who did nothing, people who were born 20 years ago, uh, people who have never discriminated to bear that cost. And what is what is that going to do? It's just going to create more resentment. It's going to, you know, uh, not really achieve anything. And I can't speak to his plan, but I think a lot of these plans are just money grabs. That yeah. people who think they can get money for something, um, you know, people who may not themselves have ever been the victim of anything, uh, getting money from people who themselves never victimized anybody. Right. Uh, if what it comes down to is that, you know, it's everything's based on color of skin. So if you're a white child born in Providence, you now have this obligation uh, because you're an oppressor. And if you're a black child born in Providence, you now have, um, you now a victim. I mean, what kind of narrative is that for society? Oh. That is like one of the worst things we could possibly do. Folks, again, we're speaking with uh, William Jacobson, Cornell Law School professor, founder of Legal Insurrection, president of the Rhode Island-based uh, Legal Insurrection Foundation, and more importantly, again, the website is criticalrace.org. Hey, Bill, what about in uh, with Nicole's case, where some of the people that were speaking up in South Kingstown, and this is one of the refrains you hear, uh, if you're against critical race theory, then that makes you a racist. Well, I, I would argue just the opposite. <laughs> I mean, critical race theory, which focuses everything on race, is a very racial narrative. And so I don't accept that at all. And certainly the, the narrative of the quote-unquote anti-racism, as articulated by Kendi, who is the most commonly read book on it, advocates racial discrimination. Kendi's most famous formulation is that current discrimination is justified to remedy past discrimination 
and future discrimination is justified to um, remedy current discrimination. So that entire narrative is one of racial discrimination. So we have come to a bizarre point in our education system and to some extent our political and social media system where advocating against being racist actually gets you called a racist. Yeah. So I don't accept I don't accept their language. I think it's very pernicious uh, and it is not something that people need to shy away from. But I can tell you, if you stand up and you say this focus on race is not healthy, you will be called names without yeah. a doubt. And that's how they silence people. And what about finally, uh, otherwise intelligent people that sometimes I agree with, but writing things like, oh, no, critical race theory is important because children need to know history. Well, one thing has nothing to do with the other. I mean, as Ramona, you know, wrote, and as I think she even testified before the state Senate, um, these are subjects that have been taught. I mean, they were reading books, you know, by great black authors about Jim Crow, about slavery. This was all being taught. The difference is it was being taught along with other things. And what critical race theory in education tries to do is to distort history. Mm. Uh, like the 1619 Project was maligned really seriously by uh, historians, actual historians who said, what you're saying is factually not correct. The, the Revolutionary War was not about maintaining slavery. Right. It's just not true. Mm. And you're trying to make things. So the 1619 Project is a perfect example of a distortion of history in order to push a racial narrative and and uh nicole hannah jones uh, even tweeted in a tweet that we saved but has now been taken down that her whole project is about the narrative of history mm. so it's not critical race theory in education and what would be taught to your kindergartners and your fifth graders is not about teaching history it's about creating a narrative as of the united states as a system systemically irredeemably racist society in order to justify uh, continued conflict and then justify shaming children because of their skin color and when they shame white children it's also in a sense shaming black children because it's sending a message to those black children that somehow they are born victims that they are somehow born less equal than their white compatriots what is worse than that message folks again he is president of rhode island-based legal insurrection foundation cornell law school professor and also founder of Legal Insurrection. The website is criticalrace.org. He is William Jacobson. Bill, I mean it. Great to talk to you. Keep up the good work, and I'm sure we'll talk again. Thanks a lot. Take care. All right.